Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. All right, gang, we are going to jump into the very last week of this backstage series that we've been in now for six weeks. And uh, today we're going to talk about a subject that's super, super important. Um, we're just really going to be scratching the surface of a, of a really deep and important issue. But I want to start today by putting a list of words up on the screen. And uh, so we can start with this. So we've got words like kindness, peace, self-control, patience, love, goodness, faithfulness, joy, gentleness. I've got a question I want you to honestly consider as you look at that list of words. Does that list of words accurately describe your life? Maybe another important question, lest we pat ourselves on the back too quickly. If others were to describe your life, would others use a list of words like this to describe your life? See, today I'm calling this message the Great Disconnect uh, because I believe that for many Christians, we do have this huge disconnect from how we live our lives on the front stage, if we go with this metaphor as we're using this backstage series, okay? We, we have this front stage persona where we do some things on the outside that people see that might look like spiritual maturity and growth. But the truth is, when we are alone in the backstage, in our quiet moments, our backstage life, or maybe a better way to say it, the condition of our soul is not really one of those words. And there's this disconnect between our internal life and our external life. Why is that? Why is that, that it's kind of common to see this disconnect in our lives from the internal to the external. See, I think here's the reality. I think that as Christians, so often we have accepted a form of spirituality that is divorced from our internal reality. Like we, we have this external thing where we can do, notice the word do, we can do certain Christian activities that give the appearance, and even we believe it, that we're growing, maturing, and becoming more of a disciple or a follower of Jesus because of this list of activities that we do on the front stage and people see about us, and yet it's completely divorced of a healthy soul, where in our quiet moments, in our true heart, we are people of kindness and peace and self-control and patience and love and goodness. And here's why this is such a problem. Like, I hope when you hear me say that, you recognize, well, that, that's not good, right? That's not a good thing for us to have this great disconnect as Christians. And here's why it's a problem. In the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to this church in Galatia, this group of Christians, he says something very important about a reality that should be true in our lives if the living, the spirit of the living God lives within us. And he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, how many of you knew that these words in front of you are actually from that list in Galatians? Okay, so the, the good Christians knew that. I, I put them out of order so that it would throw you off the trail a little bit, all right? But now, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. And I, wanna, I want you to see what the Apostle Paul wrote. Um, he, he's going to talk about this fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is all those words you just saw on the screen. It's love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then look what Paul says. I'm just going to leave this verse up for a while as we talk about this really important subject. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, if you really are growing spiritually, if you're maturing spiritually, there ought to be fruit In your life, it ought to start in a backstage, quiet place in your true heart of hearts. There ought to be Jesus doing a work inside of you that's supernatural. And then from this place, you have a heart of love and joy and peace and patience, and it overflows into your external life. And it's it's evident as fruit, like people see it as fruit in your life. But so often as Christians, we don't have that as Christians, so many times we have an external front stage that looks like a healthy, grown-up, spiritually mature life. But in our backstage, we're very emotionally unhealthy and our growth is stunted. And emotionally speaking, we're like little infants back here. Maybe on the front stage, we've been following Jesus for decades and our life looks like we're grown-ups, But in our true heart of hearts, we are emotionally immature. There's a kind of a a buzz phrase around it these days. It's called emotional IQ. We have a low emotional intelligence quotient. And, and what I've done the last few weeks is I've kind of painted a word picture of like, how, what does that look like on the outside of our life? Like, how does this play out, whether in a good way or a positive way? And I want to do the same thing today as we just talk about this subject of being emotionally healthy versus being emotionally unhealthy. And this past week, my staff and I, we kind of sat around and assembled a list of, so what does it look like? Let's just paint a picture of what emotional a low emotional IQ looks like. And and we're going to make a list. It's not on the screen. I would encourage you to write some of these down. I'll warn you, it's a long list, so write small. I've given you some room on the handouts to scribble some stuff down. But hopefully as we go through some of this, I know just as I'm preaching through some of it, I'm like, man, I'm convicted over some of these things. Like, the point is, Jesus still has a lot of room to work in my interior life. And you might say, oh, he's a pastor, and he reads his Bible, and he's, you know, he seems to be so spiritually mature, but inwardly, Jesus sees he's got some growing up to do still. How about you? Let's go through this list. What does it look like to have a low emotional IQ? In no particular order, here's, here's one I'll throw out, having unrealistic or unhealthy expectations of others. We do this a lot in our relationships, and it causes a lot of dysfunction where I hold somebody to an expectation that's not even healthy, it's not even realistic. I'm looking to my spouse to be and fill roles that God never intended them to fill in my life, or maybe there's a friend or a spiritual leader, and I just have this unhealthy expectation that you come through for me. There's another word you could kind of put with that. It's more of a clinical word. It's called codependence. When, when I'm not a whole and complete healthy person emotionally, and I have to get that from other people. You could also write in here, this is really helpful for the marriages and really any relationship, but, but I would just say unspoken expectations. Sometimes maybe it isn't even an unhealthy or unrealistic, it's just unspoken. 
And because I didn't let my wife know what I was expecting or what I was hoping to see happen and just hope that she could read my mind, usually it's the other way around. Ladies, I'm just going to tell you, your husband can't read your mind. You just got to communicate. You got to let him know what those expectations are. But that's a sign of emotional unhealthiness when I have these unrealistic, unhealthy expectations of people. Here's another one. Blaming others. Having a victim mentality where I don't take responsibility for my own junk and I blame everybody else for the problems in my life. It's everyone else's fault except mine. I really struggle to own my responsibility for the part I played in something or the the results I'm getting in life. Here's a big word. I'll just call it boundary issues. People who struggle with emotional intelligence fail to establish and respect healthy boundaries in their lives and in the lives of others. They don't understand what boundaries are. Boundaries are like an emotional fence that goes around your life and it defines my property. This is what I'm responsible for. Inside of this, this is my yard. Beyond my fence, that's your yard. I don't carry your mess and your mess doesn't belong in my yard. And, and often boundaries are set in relationships with a simple word that says no. No, no, we're not doing that. I was just dealing with a family this past week, no one from church, so don't freak out trying to figure out who it is. Just a family that for years I've been working with. Just a lot of drama, a lot of family issues, and it seems that holidays bring out the most dysfunctional best in our families, right? Just working with them again and realizing there are so many people in this story who do not observe and respect healthy boundaries it's a sign of low emotional intelligence how about this one a lack of self-awareness a sign that i'm not emotionally healthy is when i lack a self-awareness and self-awareness is when i recognize how i'm being perceived by others the problem with this is that if you lack self-awareness you're the last person to know about it like you're thinking i'm talking about someone else right now like, right? Like when we don't, when we don't have a healthy self-awareness, we fail to recognize how the words I use, the tone I use, like how it's affecting others and how they're perceiving me. Here's one. If I'm easily offended or hypersensitive, you ever got like those people in your life that you just walk on eggshells around them because it doesn't matter what I do, I know I'm going to offend you. Your feelings are right here on the edge of your shirt sleeve, just waiting to be hurt constantly. You're hypersensitive. That's not a sign of emotional strength when anybody and everybody has the ability to push my buttons and hurt me and offend me. Sarcasm or cynicism, when I've become so cynical with people and I don't see the best in people anymore, I don't believe the best about people, I just believe the worst, I look for the worst, I'm constantly sarcastic, all of my humor is put down humor. Like that's, that's, again, not a sign of emotional health and strength. Here's one, anger issues. Did you know that it is not a sin to be angry? Okay, well, apparently not. So let me say that. It is not a sin to be angry. Anger is a God-given emotion that can be used in a very positive way in our life. But here's two very dysfunctional ways that we often process anger. I'm speaking to some people right now this weekend that the way you deal with anger is it turns inward and you just have this seething, smoldering anger under the surface. And what's really dangerous is you have the ability to mask it with a pretty smile. 
and inwardly it's toxic. And you're so angry, and it's just b- becoming this root of bitterness. The Bible calls it in Hebrews, I believe, this root of bitterness because your anger turns inward. You're not processing it in a healthy way. It's turning inward. Others have the, the, the wrong response to anger, and it becomes this outward explosive anger. And maybe I'm talking to some people that you're like, yep, I grew up in that guy's house, man. Dad flew off the handle in a screaming, cussing rage at the first sign of something not going right. If you have anger issues and you don't, in a healthy way, deal with anger, that's a sign that you've got some, Jesus has some work in your internal life. There's some things that are not emotionally healthy there. Ooh, here's one. Inability to identify and verbalize my, get ready for the F word in church, feelings. Some of you guys, you men are like, he just used the F word from the stage. Seriously, we serve an emotional God. We are created in the image of a God who feels deeply. He feels anger, he feels sorrow and sadness and regret and joy. Like we are created in the image of a God who has feelings and yet so often we don't know how to express our feelings. Or watch this, here's another way this plays out. We don't know how to take ownership of our feelings. Where we can honestly say and own it, I feel and then fill in the blank. An unhealthy way we do this often, especially in marriages, is you make me feel. You make me feel. See what we're doing? It's victim. It's blaming. It's you did this to me instead of taking healthy ownership. I feel hurt right now. I feel sad. I feel scared. I feel whatever. Taking ownership and being able to verbalize and process those feelings. Did you know that if we're growing spiritually, we actually are more in tune with our feelings? I know this is rocking some of your world. You're like, I just thought I needed to read the Bible and pray. No, you you actually need to process those God-given emotions. Why do I feel so anxious right now? Why do I feel so fearful about the future? Why am I so depressed? What's going on? Giving words to that. These next two go hand in hand. So I'll just say it this way. Inability to have healthy confrontation. We'll start with that one. Inability to have healthy confrontation. If you're like a lot of people, and I'm with you, I'm with you on this, I hate confrontation. Is anyone else with me on that? I hate it. Even healthy confrontation. I get this pit in my stomach when I have to pick up the phone and call somebody and be like, hey, can we get together and talk, knowing that I have to confront them about some issue. And it just makes me like, oh, my stomach's turning. I hate it. And so here's what I naturally tend to do. I tend to just ignore it. It's the same philosophy I bring to my mechanical problems. If you ignore it long enough, it might fix itself, and that knocking will just go away, and it'll get better. That's only happened like once, okay? Every other time, it gets worse. And even even preaching this, I'm just telling you, like, God is kind of convicting me. I've got a few little relational things. I probably need to go have some confrontations with people, and I don't like it. Some of you, and by the way, uh, one thing I want to say about confrontation, too, is if you study the life of Jesus, he was constantly in confrontation, It's not wrong to have healthy confrontation. Jesus' entire life that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was constantly confronting people and in the thick of things. It's possible to do that and to be healthy. Some of you are like, I got the confrontation part down. Actually, I love having confrontation. I'm good at that. 
So this next one goes hand in hand. It's an inability to resolve conflict. So some of you are like, oh, me and my wife, we yell and argue really well. We just never resolve anything. And, and by the way, you should jot down Romans twelve eighteen. I love this verse because it says, so much as it depends on you, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And I, I love that. It's like God's word is acknowledging flat out, there's just some people you ain't going to live at peace with. But as far as it depends on you, make sure that you're not the, road net, the roadblock to that issue. And I believe when you're talking about two Christians in God's house, in God's family, like there ought to be some form of healthy conflict resolution, not if, but when problems come up. But let me ask you this. This is kind of a confronting question. How many broken relationships lie in your past where you just ran away from conflict and didn't resolve it? Is that list getting longer of bridges that have been burned? Did you know it's possible to have healthy confrontation and conflict resolution where the bridge remains intact? Where we don't have to drop a bomb on the bridge and blow it up and say, well, I guess I'm writing you off. See, and if if that's part of your life, like this is a sign of emotional unhealthiness. Doesn't matter how much we read the Bible and pray, like if this is there, like there's internal things that need attention. A few more, a few more. This next one's huge, and I'm about to preach. The inability to be cordial with someone who holds a different opinion. Can somebody say Facebook? We live in a nasty culture. Do you realize that? That we just cannot tolerate being around someone who has a different way of viewing the world and handle them with respect and kindness. Am I making this up or am I on to something here? That's true, isn't it? We, and, and by the way, Christian, I'm speaking to the Christians today, even when it's not even a matter of opinion, where we can just agree to disagree, when it is a matter of flat out revealed truth from the word of God, it's a matter of right and wrong, even when you're right, it does not give you the right to be a jerk. I see Christians on Facebook that are just toxic and nasty to one another. I've had people say, I'm in different groups on Facebook with Christian people, and it is one of the most argumentative, nasty groups to be in because we're so unkind because someone thinks a little bit different than us, and we just have to go right to the name-calling, to the attacking, to the tearing down, instead of just maybe we can have a conversation in our culture and agree that we don't always see things the same way. But you are still, listen to this, you are still a human soul created in the image of a holy God. Amen? She's not mad. She told me she might have to leave, so it's all good. Like She's like, whoo, she must be just nasty on Facebook. It isn't that, all right? Sorry, like we just had to say that or it could have been awkward. So I got a couple others. Being passive-aggressive, you know what that looks like. It looks like aggressive in a very passive way. It's not healthy. Inability to empathize. Empathy is where I can appreciate how you're feeling right now. Even if I don't feel that way, if things are going great in my life, but they're not in your life, like I can empathize. Like, man, that must, that must hurt right now. You must be having a hard time. I can appreciate the feelings of others. I can think about how something is affecting someone else. It's a sign of emotional health when I can do that. It's a sign of emotional immaturity when I can't. Toddlers don't do this very well. You understand this, right? Like, they don't care that they just woke you up at 2 in the morning and you were sleeping. They don't care. 
They're not empathizing with your feelings and your needs. They're immature. You could write down, this is kind of a fun buzzword these days, narcissism. Good luck spelling that. That really ties in with that week on pride where we dealt with that. But narcissism, man, it's just people that they are the center of the universe. They are God's gift to creation. All of that, all of that that we just went through, it's outward signs of inward problems. And here's the main point. Let's, let's get off the conviction, because I feel convicted enough, all right? Let's, let's stop with the list, and let's get on to the main point. If you want to write this down in your notes, here's why this is such an important conversation. If I am spiritually mature, it should result in emotional health. If I'm spiritually mature, it should result in emotional health. See, these are like inseparable Growing up spiritually cannot be divorced from growing up emotionally. If, if I'm, the Spirit of God is living in me, if I'm keeping in step with the Spirit, it cannot look like this thing where externally I read through the Bible in a year and I put money in the offering bucket at church and I serve more than once every eight weeks and I'm just a great Christian on the outside. But internally, my heart is so full of hatred and bitterness and toxic, broken, dysfunctional relationships. See, that's a disconnect. It's this great disconnect between emotional health and what's really playing out on the stage of my life. See, and I think, I think what Paul is saying is this. Like, if the Spirit of God lives inside of us, our lives ought to be attractive to the world around us. People ought to be drawn, not just to us, but ultimately to Jesus because of how the Spirit of God is working in and through our lives. But see, <clears throat> the problem is this. We have, we've allowed there to be different models of discipleship. Let me, let me just drill down into this for a moment. In the American church, we love formulas. Give me the three-step plan to do this or that. Like, let's give me a formula. So when it comes to discipleship, which is a fancy Bible word for growing up spiritually, we have all these different models of discipleship and they're all built on different practices and they're all good things right so like some will say we just need to pray more we need to be people of prayer prayer is missing in the church let's just pray 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 or no we got to get people in god's word we need to study the word and know the word or some would say john it's about spiritual warfare like satan is real demons are real we got to get people equipped in spiritual battle and get them ready for this and others would go no it's about small groups we, we're missing that fellowship we got to get people together in fellowship so we need small groups and others would go actually if we get people serving that's where it's at because we become more like god so when, when we're serving so let's get people together and get them serving one another so, so which is it, friends? Which of those do we pick and choose? Here's the problem. When we define those things as discipleship, and when we stop there, we get this disconnect between how we're living externally versus who we really are on the inside. It's not, not that any of these things are bad. They're all necessary and good things. But when they're divorced from emotional health and emotional maturity when we fail to recognize that growing up spiritually means growing up emotionally we, we can end in a very unhealthy place so here's what i want to do i want to ask the team in the back can you go back to galatians 5 it's not in your notes so this is a curveball i'm throwing at you but go back to the first part of that where he's talking about um the fruit of the spirit <clears throat> so galatians 5 22 okay there it is <clears throat> i just want to get those words up there on the screen and I just want to, let's just, 
let's just digest this a little slower, okay? Let's go through this list together. If the Spirit of God is living inside of me and I'm growing up emotionally, then here's the thing. We heard Amelia talk about it so beautifully in her Let's Read the Bible Together video. There ought to be real love that's coming through my life. For, for God first and then others. And by the way, I don't know about you, but for me, that's supernatural when that happens. Because I am not hardwired in my sinful state to love you very well. I am hardwired in my sinful state to love me very well. And so when I have the ability to put someone else above myself and to truly love you with the love of Christ, that's not credit to John. That is credit to the Spirit of God that's producing fruit in my life. Are you a loving person? Like seriously, do you love people? And by the way, if you're honestly, if you would admit what I just admitted, that honestly, no, not naturally, that's good. Admit it. And then ask God to change your heart. Because he will. And he'll start developing a love for others in you that did not come from you. It came from him. How about joy? Keith mentioned this earlier in, in our time of worship. This ought to be one of the most joyful seasons that we celebrate. It's the greatest story ever told as we go through this backstage series at Christmas time. Question, Christian, is your life a life of joy? I didn't ask if all the circumstances in your life are right. I can point to circumstances in my life that are challenging and difficult right now. But man, most days I wake up with just this exuberance about life. I love my life. I love what God has done in and through me. We serve an awesome God. Amen? About four of us think so. Anyway, that's good. Peace. Peace. Does your life Show peace in a time where it's so many people are lacking peace. Do you have peace in your life? Patience. A willingness to stick with things. A willingness not to just cut and run when things get hard. Does your life demonstrate patience in your relationships? Man, sometimes it'd be so much easier just to write people off and just cut them off. Okay, you've made me mad. I'm done with you. But Jesus, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is patience. How much crap has God put up with in my life and your life? And he keeps patiently working with us, right? Kindness, I already kind of hit on that. Man, we live in a world where some of the biggest jerks on social media claim the name of Jesus. I hope that's convicting to some of us. I really do. Because that ain't the fruit of the Spirit. When you're like, I don't care how much you've read your Bible today and how much you pray. When you get on there and just cut someone down, that is not the fruit of the Spirit coming out in your life. That's ugly and it's unhealthy and it's flowing out of a soul that is emotionally immature. Goodness, that kind of gets to that Bible word we talked about a few weeks ago of righteousness. Embracing God's holiness in my life. I make the right decisions. I do right living. It's, it's goodness. Faithfulness, man. I'm, I'm loyal to my commitments. Think about that, how that plays out relationally. Man, I'm faithful. Whether we're talking about to my spouse, when things aren't easy, we stick in it. Whether it's talking about a commitment to my church family, to my spiritual family, when things get difficult, I stick with it. I don't just bail when things get hard. I'm faithful. Because that's who God is. You understand that, right? He's faithful. So the fruit of the Spirit in my life is also faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Man, these are such important things. 
I've got a couple resources at the bottom of your handouts I want to share with you real quick, and and then I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Um, So let me just label these resources. First of all, I shared this book a few years back. We actually did a series called Emotional IQ, and back then I recommended this book as well. You'll notice at the bottom of your handouts the title, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Phenomenal book. And with that, there's a little tool online. Uh, We put a link at the bottom of your handouts there, and Chris is going to put that in the email. So if you're not subscribed to our church's email list, do that. And in the weeks to come, you're going to see that uh, link come through our email. But basically, it's going to take you to this little online survey where he's going to help ask some very targeted questions. And if you're honest, you know, you'll get a little scoring at the end, and it'll kind of help you see in some key areas of your life, am I an emotional infant? Am I an emotional toddler? Am I an emotional adolescent or am I emotionally mature? And I think it's healthy every once in a while just to get a little read on some of those areas of my life. And if you're anything like me, you'll probably find some areas that you're mature in. You'll probably find some areas that Jesus still has some work to do in John's backstage. There's still some areas of growth where I need to let him in and and let him change me and transform me from who I was and who I am to who he is wanting me to be and leading me to be so here's my question for you as i get ready to close in prayer i just want to challenge you with this question are you an emotionally healthy person i'm not asking what's the front stage look like that everyone can see i'm saying in your backstage is it really a healthy soul that the fruit of the spirit is there and it's producing evidence in your life by by what others do see on the front stage see as we've said in this whole series kind of wrapping it all up it's possible to pretend here for a while it really is like i can put on a show on the front stage but if it's not flowing out of a healthy soul a backstage that really is loving and following jesus eventually what's happening out here is going to collapse and come crashing down so my question to you church is how is this part of your life The message isn't clean up a bunch of front stage stuff. It's let God do some work in the backstage interior of my soul where not everybody can see what's going on. And before I close in prayer, one last thought I just want to challenge you with. How awesome is it? How awesome is it that we serve a God who not only wants to save our soul from eternity in hell, which we all deserve because of our sin, right? Like we deserve eternal torment in hell because of my bad choices and your rebellion against the holy god and his will is not just to save you for eternity that's awesome in and of itself but we serve a god who cares about everything he cares about your entire life even the brief life on this planet he wants you to live an abundant full mature life why because he wants to bring others to himself through your life he wants you to have an attractive life that draws other people to himself so he can also save others for all eternity. So I think that's amazing that we serve a God who cares about my whole life, not just what I do on the front stage, but the true health of my soul so that this is for real. Like what's getting played out is authentic and it's real and he uses it for his kingdom purposes. And I'll say this too. I know you're like, you just said you're done. No, one more thing, seriously. If you try to fix all this emotional health stuff, some of you might be sitting out there going, this is a bunch of psycho babble. Listen, if it's separated from a relationship with Jesus, it absolutely is. If you try to fix all of these, quote, psychological issues in your life apart from a personal faith relationship with Jesus, you might be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, kind of by your own self-effort, fix a few things in your life. 
But friend, I got to tell you, you will still far, fall entirely far short of God's standard of perfection. The point is we all need Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I would challenge you, today is the day, to turn your heart to the Lord and submit to him and invite him to come in and do the real house cleaning that you and I are not capable of doing in and of ourselves. If you could have fixed yourself, you would have by now. We need Jesus, amen? Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this time that you've given to us. Thank you for this series. God, I thank you that you truly do care about our whole person. I thank you that you are a God that's not satisfied with just the front stage looking to appear right to the world that's watching, but you actually want our lives to flow out of a healthy backstage that's walking with you, being daily filled by your spirit and empowered to live a spirit-filled, transformed life that ends up looking like a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. As a church, Lord Jesus, today, we just collectively, corporately acknowledge our absolute neediness before you. We, I guarantee there's room in every one of our hearts where we need to grow up. We need to mature. And I pray that your spirit would just be working in our hearts right now and um, that we would take some action this week wherever you're calling us to take a step of obedience and a step of growth. So Lord, I don't know what that is for each and every individual, but I believe your spirit is speaking right now and I pray that we would submit to that and surrender to that and take that next step, whatever that may be. Father, we love you. I pray if there's anyone here today that has never trusted in the name of Jesus for their salvation, that today would be the day that they recognize how desperately they need the Lord Jesus Christ, the name that is above all other names, the only name by which men must be saved, the name of Jesus. I pray that today would be the day that they call upon you for salvation and begin that faith journey as they follow you throughout their life. God, you get all the praise, the honor, and the glory for how you use this message and this series in our lives as a people. We worship you and we love you. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Cast Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv.